Welcome to our bonus podcast. I'm the host Donato Surbonas and I'm joined by my colleague Ritis Vishnauskas. What's up, Ritis? Hey guys, hello Donatas. Um, well, I'm kind of tired <laughs> because really for me, the Olympic Games, uh, I enjoy everything, but it's hard for me to get used to living in Tokyo time. You know me very well. I'm not, a, I'm not the guy who likes getting up in the morning very early. And in these days, I have to make some sacrifices. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of difficult, but really I'm enjoying the Olympics so far and everything is going real well. I saw that the first quarterfinal game on Tuesday will start four o'clock in the morning, Lithuania, right? Yeah. And you will have to get up for that game, right? Yes, I will have to cover all four of the quarterfinals on the same day. So it's going to be a challenge because I was also covering the NBA finals. For example, it was also four in the morning. But the difference was that after the game, I could go home and sleep for seven or eight hours. Now I will not have that possibility because besides from basketball, we are still doing some other things with the Olympic Games, as you know. So it's, it's challenging, but it's a great experience for me personally as a, as a young commentator. Yeah, and since you covered most of the games in, in Tokyo, what are your your general thoughts about the level uh, of the competition, about the drama? Well, first of all, uh, I was saying this from the very beginning, the competition system has flaws. And we all see that I don't really like this uh, thing when you have to choose two best third place teams and all these things and uh, i would agree with uh, tiago splitter he was tweeting that you need 16 teams and four groups of four teams that would work that would be the best system i would say if you add four additional teams uh, the quality of basketball i think would be even better because uh, let's imagine you would have like two european teams let's say serbia and lithuania for example and or Greece, or, for example. Or, or Greece, yeah. There is and Canada, Turkey. Also Canada or Brazil. Okay. Because you, you would have to give more to the, uh, to the South or North America, right? So you would have 16 teams. Those teams joining would be also high level. And uh, I believe uh, this could work. But I'm not really sure that the Olympic Committee is interested in doing this because uh, as far as I know, uh, they want to actually uh, make some of these competitions, not only basketball, even harder to qualify for, not easier and not expanded. So we'll see what the future holds. But that's my first uh, first thought. Other than that... By the way, by the way, I will yeah. interrupt you uh, about these flaws, you know, beside these flaws... Um, I see a point um, because, you know, that kind of point differential or like two best third place teams and stuff like that, it makes all the games important and it actually makes uh, all possessions important because, you know, you have to count the point differential. And for example, I, I was very disappointed with Czech Republic. I mean, they were, they challenged Team USA so good actually, but then, you know, it's not easy to, um, to compete against Team USA for all four quarters. But, you know, in a way, how they let them go, they kind of, you know, uh, blew out their chances, you know, to to try to be that second best third place team and stuff like that. I mean, it makes all, all games uh, and all possessions relevant. And it's probably one single 
good thing about this system. Yeah, well, I can understand this argument, but uh, as well, I am not really a big fan of watching these games where one team has to lose by some margin, right? Like if you lose less by less than 20, then you're good. You qualify. I'm not really a big fan of this, but, but listen. Yeah. And especially, you know, when it, we have it, groups better, like, uh-huh. it's better than what we had in the past when you know the draw, you know, your group. And then if you're Spain, for example, in their best days in London or Beijing Olympics, you're, you're just putting a strategy where you avoid Team USA until the final. So sometimes in the, in the group stage, it is better for you to be second than first and, and things like that. And that was not good. Of course, what the system we have right now eliminated uh, this uh, scenario. But 16 teams, I think it, this could work and would be even better. But it's just about the competition system. If we talk about the basketball uh, I, I really like what I'm seeing so far. Uh, there are some outstanding individual performances. Uh, the teams that qualified for the quarterfinals, uh, th- those are great teams, really. Uh, most of them playing very attractive modern basketball with uh, three-point shots in transition, with fast breaks, uh, amazing point guards like Rubio, Campazzo, Doncic. It's it's really amazing to watch. As well as that, you still have the old school Spanish teams uh, coached by Sergio Scariolo. So it's it's really great the competition, uh, and I could say every game I covered so far was exciting. Maybe apart from USA Czech Republic, as you mentioned, because uh, in the second half it was kind of boring. You just saw like Tatum and and Durant making those easy buckets, but. All other games were really spectacular and I'm looking forward to the quarterfinals. Oh yeah, we will for sure discuss uh, the draw and, and the quarterfinal games. Uh, but probably we're going to start from the game of the tournament, I would call. Slovenia-Spain. Also, before starting our pod, we should mention that uh, sorry for us you know, making it uh, on Zoom. Usually and regularly we're going to do it uh, in the studio, but I have to... Uh, self-isolate myself due to some COVID situation, COVID restrictions, so sort of about that. Uh, But to start uh, with Slovenia and Spain, I mean, what a thriller uh, and what a game. Uh, Every possession was really important and you could feel, you know, the importance of it, you know, watching when that old Twitter was all over the Luka Doncic having that third foul. And it's crazy to see one guy being so important for the team. And it just it was great, great atmosphere, you know, uh, throughout the game, on the court, and especially, as I said, on social media, you know, because there was so much, so many stuff uh, to talk about. So we will try to, to discuss the most interesting uh, things. What would be your hot take from the beginning? My hot take would be maybe... A little bit controversial. I think that Spain was the better team in this game. I was watching the game. I was not only watching, I was obviously covering the game, but all the time I thought they are in control because they had this very interesting uh, defensive system, box and one. Victor Claver mainly, or sometimes Alberto Balde was covering uh, Luka Doncic. The other four guys were in a zone. And from the very beginning, it was a big problem for Slovenia. And as we know, Slovenia is not a defensive team. So 
Spain had open shots all 40 minutes, open three-pointers, right? They just couldn't make them when they needed the most. Uh, let's say we remember the miss uh, from Alberto Balde in the end of the fourth quarter. Also, the shot Ricky Rubio took and it hit the backboard. Um, I mean, they were really prepared. They prepared for this game really well. Tactically, uh, they were controlling Luka Doncic. They, they didn't allow him to score. He was limited in terms of field goals. Of course, he found ways to assist his teammates, but he also had the foul problem in in the first half. So really, they did all these good things. And I I was 100% sure when in the third quarter they made a run that they will win this game. But Slovenia had this incredible energy. I think the offensive rebounds did a lot. And you cannot uh, underrate guys like Giga Dimitz, uh, the way he came in off the bench and, and grabbed a few rebounds fighting against Pau Gasol, legend of basketball. And also, Klemen Prepelic took some, I would say, important decisions in the game. Luka Doncic, he had a, a difficult game because of Spanish defense, but Prepelic was prepared. He took some shots. He played some good pick and rolls with, with Mike Toby. Uh, and they won it, but... I still have some mixed feelings because I think that Spain played a good game. They were like two or three open three-pointers away from winning it. They just couldn't make it. Yeah, but you know, in a way, Slovenia was kind of in the same situation. They also had many uh, good open looks. And that's what makes me scared about, as you mentioned, Spain played a good game. Spain actually is a great team. They are world champions and they are even better than they were two years ago. Luka Doncic was contained to 12 points, which is incredible. But still Slovenia managed to win this game. That's what scares me a lot about the Slovenia national team potential. Because, I mean, hats off to the Spanish national team. They did uh, everything they could uh, to win the game. But it, it just the fact that Slovenia still, you know won the game, it, it so surprised me. Uh, hats off well, to Scariolo. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I, I have to say, I mean, I started with Spain, how good they played and their tactics, but I have to give a lot of respect to Slovenia because for the first time they faced really big challenges in this tournament, right? Because they were cruising past Argentina and Japan, obviously. Now they had Luka Doncic in foul trouble. Third foul was, I believe, in the end of the first quarter. So they had to play six or seven minutes without Luka. And they were still in the game. They were down like by three points when he came back. So it means that uh, Klemen Prepelic, uh, Zoran Dragic, Vlatko Cancar, they made some good plays and they stayed in the game. Even though Luka came back and his defense, when he had three fouls, I would compare it if if <laughs> some of you remember, you definitely remember Donatas. The very last few seasons of Tanoka Bird in, in, in Jalgiris, when when he was not really playing any defense at all, he was just... Man, show some respect somewhere. for Tanaka Bird. He's so active on Twitter. When he was he was following Team USA closely and he's you know, making some tweets <laughs> how they should play. So show some no, respect. I mean, he's a legend, but let's be real. He was not playing any defense at all in his last few seasons. So that's, that was what Luka Doncic did when he had those free fouls. But it hey, worked, okay? 
but but when we talk about Luca and him getting that early third foul, are we going just to sit here and pretend like nothing happened with that third foul? Because which was actually you know the cha- game changer. The let's say it changed the momentum of the game. As I said, Luca became kind of you know zero in, in defense, and Sekulic needed you know to sit down him on the bench for five minutes. But actually, that was a moving screen by Alex Abrines. I mean, that was that was a clear foul for the defense. So I was I was mad about that third foul, which was called in the end of the first quarter. Well, there could have been a fourth one. If you remember, he collided. Ricky was also doing so illegal screens. Yeah, he was moving. I know, but knowing these referees, it wouldn't wouldn't have surprised me if, if they took they would have taken the decision to give him the fourth foul, and that would complicate things for Slovenia so much but they didn't they made the right call that time it was a defensive foul on on Ricky Rubio um, and yeah I would agree with you and another thing is that these uh, NBA superstars uh, whether European or American especially American of course but Europeans as well when they play for three four years in the NBA the longer they play the more they get used to it they don't get in foul trouble in NBA in regular season games, not even in playoffs. These best players, I believe the ceiling is four fouls. You would never see Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant fouling out of a game in, in NBA. In FIBA, it's possible. Kevin Durant fouled out against France. Luka Doncic was on the edge in this game. So, yeah, I do agree with you that that, that offensive foul, that call was horrible really and it it could have ruined the whole game for Slovenia fortunately it didn't because like I said for six or seven minutes they played quality basketball without Luka yeah and but actually when we talk about these screens and how Spain tried you know to catch Luka on these uh, offensive foul calls that's I think that was not a coincidence. That was no, uh, another sure. idea of Spanish coaching staff. And again, hats off to Scariolo, hats off to coaching staff. Also players like uh, Claver, Abrines and all the others. Because they did everything they could from the since the minute one, switching defensive systems, making Luca feeling uncomfortable. And again, when it takes referees, it seems like uh, Spain, you know got under Luca's skin because he was really giving a lot of energy for the referees from the first quarter and it was again you know uh, another victory for Spanish national team and it was probably the first team which was really physical with Luca not only trying you know to stop him from getting into the pain easily but also let's say let's 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 be fair making some dirty fouls but just being really physical because all other teams even Lithuania I mean when you think about that qualifying tournament final and when you compare it what Spanish national team did in defense I mean there were so many interesting uh, different defensive ideas how Scariola was switching it and when we remember like just putting Arnas Butkiewicz and Thomas Dimsha uh, against Luka Doncic and you know just hoping that they're gonna stop him. I mean, it's it was it was great great performance by Scariolo. And only one thing I I, I would uh, you know replace uh, was the last after timeout play, which was really good. But I would uh, put Sergio Rodriguez in, instead of Ricky Rubio, you know, to to make that in uh, out of bound play and to make that final okay. shot. Okay. Well, I believe he was trusting his best player, and 
of course, Ricky Rubio had a really poor shooting night. Seven from 23, something like that. Yeah, Something like that. But before that, in two games against Japan and Argentina, his shooting was very consistent and, and he was scoring 20 points per game. And they trusted him. He was trusting himself, obviously, because even though the shots were not falling, he was taking them. I believe five years ago, Ricky Rubio playing for Spain, if he would break a couple of three-pointers, he wouldn't even try. But now he's 30 years old. He's very mature. He was the MVP of the 2019 World Cup, and, and, and he really believes in himself. So, okay, he didn't make the shot, but I believe it was a great decision because uh, obviously Slovenians were going to foul them, uh, having a three-point lead, and making this quick play didn't allow them to make a foul, and they took the best possible shot they could at that point. So, okay, uh, that's one thing. Another thing I wanted to add about uh, Spain trying to stop Luka Doncic being physical with him. Let's not forget that Rudy Fernandez, Sergio Rodriguez, Sergio Yul, basically, they were like Luka Doncic's parents, right, in Madrid. He was a teenager when he arrived in Madrid. These guys at that time were already I mean, they were one of the greatest players in EuroLeague. They were key players for Madrid. And, of course, they know the strengths of Luka Doncic, but they should know some of his weaknesses. Like, mentally, maybe he's not at that level where you cannot really do anything to him. Mentally, he can be a little bit damaged. That's what they were trying to do. And as you mentioned trying to provoke these offensive fouls. It's not a coincidence. Obviously, it was, it was planned. They knew what they were doing. And it, it worked at some point in the first half, right? So, once again, another good thing uh, that the Spanish team prepared for this game. But I'm talking a lot about Spain. I'm obviously wearing a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, let's talk maybe more about Slovenia, how they won this game. Because Spain had, to, because of their defense, they had to sacrifice a lot of shots from other players. They were limiting Luka Doncic, but they allowed so many spot up shots, let's say from Vladko Chanchar, who is a good spot up shooter. Uh, also, watching Chanchar, I, I think that he's a bench player in the NBA, but he's a great EuroLeague material. I would think he, he could be a great player in. Most or any EuroLeague teams. Uh, also, Jakob Blažić, all these guys had open shots because Spain was concentrating their defense on Luka. Four guys defending in a zone. So there will always be open shooters. And uh, the rebounds. At some, In some moments, Slovenians were out-hustling. The Gazol brothers and all the other bigs Spain has Let's say Usman Garuba entered the game and he fouled Giga Dimas twice. This just shows that he's still a young player and he is making some mental mistakes. And these are good things that Slovenia did in this game. Basically, they were staying in the game so they would have a chance in the last minute to win it. So in the last minute, it was 50-50. Who makes a shot and who doesn't? So Abalde missed, Prepelic hit, and, and Slovenia won the group. Yeah, and when Luka got the third foul and Slovenia managed to stay, you know, behind uh, Spain only by three points, um, it was a good reason to remember what coach Mike Taylor from Polish national team told in Konas after they lost 
uh, to Slovenia. He told that it's more than Luka Doncic uh, on that team. And the second uh, fact, which, you know, again, uh, made another reason to remember his words, uh, was that Luka made the last field goal against Spain in the middle of the third quarter. He was only two from seven. And the last uh, time he scored... Uh, being in the game it was like with five minutes left to the third quarter so once again it was a great great example that it's more than just Luka Doncic how nicely this team was built how nicely uh, coach Sekulic you know is handling his team yeah. all the supporting cast uh, deserves all the respect as I mentioned Vladko Chanchar uh, I'm so happy about this guy because he's very important piece uh, for this national team and you just cannot not to love Slovenia when you when we watched them being up by one it was probably the 39th minute of the game one of the last possessions of Slovenia Luka you know is just making quick quick pass being you know on close to the sidelines uh, of his basket and Prepelic, instead of, you know, waiting for all five guys to, uh, to, to come for the half-court uh, possession, he is penetrating to the paint and he's making love for Mike Toby like Kobe did to Shaq in 2000 Western yeah. Conference Finals. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just crazy, crazy. And it, but it's the way Slovenians play. And I, I, I'm a fan of this team. And, uh, you know, uh, I cannot be very objective, uh, let's say, but you just cannot uh, not uh, love him. Well, they play beautiful basketball, that's for sure. But this game also showed that they have some weaknesses and and they can be challenged for sure. Talking about Mike Toby, I really admire him. He fits in this team so good. I mean, the teammates, as I see, they really love him. Prepolish obviously loves him because he plays with him in Valencia, but the other guys as well. Uh, in the past, they had Anthony Randolph. They had success with him, obviously. They won the Eurobasket in 2017. But when I watched Anthony Randolph in Slovenia's national team, it seemed to me like he is living in his own world. He's part of the team. He's doing all the right things on the court, but not really sure if he was the type of guy that would play cards with other Slovenians after the game. And Mike Toby. He just looks like a Slovenian already, <laughs> even though he said that a uh, few months ago he, he didn't even know where Slovenia is. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great fit for, the, for them. And uh, it's, it's, it's a team built around Luka Doncic, but with the right players in the right places. As we know, Slovenian basketball right now is not in a very good shape, to be honest. They haven't had a club in EuroLeague for, I believe, seven or more years. In general, Slovenian clubs are not strong financially. And there is this guy who grew up in Madrid, in, in Real Madrid system. He's leading this team. They have some veteran players. They have some younger guys, some EuroCup level players. And one American center that fits. And it's enough. As we see, it is enough to be successful. So hats off to them. And uh, some people are already on the hype train saying that they're probably the main contenders for gold medal. I would be more careful with that statement, but it's possible. It seems possible right now. Yeah, 
I, I see a potential of being a gold-winning uh, gold medal team because you mentioned that okay, Spain showed that showed that they are vulnerable, but at the same time, watching that game, it seemed like I was watching at least Olympic game semifinals, and 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 that shows you know that Slovenia won a real important game, and especially when we take when we have to take into the consideration that uh, the loser of this game, uh, let's say. Okay, there was a draft ceremony, but potentially if Slovenia was losing this game, probably they would have met uh, Team USA in the quarterfinals. So that was a big prize of that game. And once again, hats off for Slovenia managing to, to win it. And uh, we, pro- we should probably go to the quarterfinals. And Slovenia is playing Germany. Uh, it's it's going to be the first quarterfinal uh, game. I mean, uh, you watched... Germans playing what do you think what do they have to offer you know in order to contain uh, Luca and trying to be as at least as competitive as Spain was well I believe this could actually be a tricky game for Slovenia even though Germany at this point could seem like one of the weaker teams in the quarterfinals I would say them with Argentina they are the third place teams obviously But uh, when you look at their roster and also I remember their first game against Italy where they were really good for like 35 minutes. They just lost the plot completely in the last five minutes. Uh, They have plenty to offer, to be honest. If we talk about stopping Luka Doncic or maybe stopping is not the right word, let's say limiting a little bit his numbers, controlling him a little bit, they have a good defensive player in Isaac Bonga. I'm 100% sure that his personal mission in this game will be for 30 or more minutes to just try to do his best on defense against Luka. Other than that, they are a good offensive team. They have big guys who stretch the floor. Uh, Johannes Voigtman from CSK Moscow, Mo Wagner playing in the NBA. And he looks really good in the German national team. Uh, They have size. So they can be good uh, on the boards. Of course, their their bigs, centers and power forwards are not the kind of players who play in the post a lot. They are stretching the floor mainly with with long-distance shooting. But also they have physical guys like Niels Giffey in the small forward position. Uh... The only thing they're lacking, in my opinion, is a true point guard. Because Maude Law has to do this job. And to me, he's more of a combo guard. He's a scorer. He's not the guy who, let's say, controls the game. And in this position, I believe they are really struggling without Dennis Schroeder. He would add a lot to this to this team. Also... There are some other NBA players uh, that are not playing this summer for the Germany German national team, like Daniel Tice and Maxi Kleber, but this is not a big issue because they have other bigs that, uh, that I mentioned. Uh, so Germany is a good team. In one game, they can cause problems to Slovenia. Obviously, Slovenia is, is are the big favorites in, in this quarterfinal. But I'm looking forward to it because I, I would say Germany is, is a team that it has a lot to offer. Yeah, I, I mean, I like them. Uh, I was a bit surprised that they advanced to the quarterfinals uh, because I thought that 
maybe uh, Italy, Nigeria potentially going to be, you know, higher than them. And the fact is that they were competitive in all three games, uh, even against Australia. They were uh, competing till the end against Italy. They could have won the game. So that kind of, you know, uh, maybe, you know, makes a hope that they can be competitive uh, against Slovenia, at least to try to be, uh, to stay in the game uh, till the last minute. But I'm not sure, you know, I, I, li- I like and I agree what, with what you say. I mean, Isaac Bonga, Niels Gifai, uh, I mean, they're good defenders. Uh, they, they have size, they have length uh, for trying to contain uh, Luka Doncic. When, but when, you know, I cannot remember the fact that Victor Claver, Abrines, Usman Garuma, uh, they were uh, trying to contain Luka. They did a great job, but it still was not enough. So... I just don't think that uh, German uh, can can make a surprise uh, in this in this game. Well, but you know, if if this was like a best of five series, I would say I Germany. I would yeah. say Germany would take at least one game in best of five, right? And this is just one game. Both teams are really dependent on on three point shooting, and when you are so dependent on long distance shooting, you never know. There are some games where you just cannot hit any. And there are some games where everything's falling. So Germany has a lot of shooters, as well as Slovenia. Of course, Slovenia has the best creator, the point god of this tournament. And, and this is a huge difference maker. And I'm not saying that Isaac Bonga on his own is going to stop Luka and, and be the national hero. Probably not. But if it's a high-scoring game, Germans have a shot. That's all I'm saying. I'm not making a prediction that Germany will win this, but it's not as easy as, as it might look for, for, for Slovenia. Because let's say teams like Spain or especially Argentina, these are veteran teams. Slovenia can outrun them. The Germans are quick enough and athletic enough. They can run with Slovenia. They can definitely play this fast-paced basketball. The, thing, the best thing about it is that all eight teams deserve to be in the quarterfinals. And if you remember the previous system, uh, there were two groups uh, with six teams. And sometimes, especially the fourth seeded team, was kind of, you know, obvious loser for the quarterfinals. But all these teams, I mean, having in mind Italy also, I mean, they played a good, played a really good basketball uh, and they deserve to be here. And as you said, you know... Uh, I don't see any pair of the quarterfinals where one team couldn't beat uh, another in in a single game. So that's going to be uh, interesting. And the winner of uh, Slovenia and Germany uh, gonna face France uh, or Italy. Uh, what do you think about this matchup? Well, I think that Zinedine Zidane is going to headbutt Marco Materazzi for sure in this one. <laughs> <laughs> but but to be serious. Um, I really like the French team. Uh, they did beat the United States. Okay, Americans did not have a good game. But France have everything that they need in every position. They are covered from one through five. Even Rudy Gobert is not irreplaceable. They can play with foul for some minutes. They can put Poirier at five. We saw Poirier playing at four, which gives them a lot of size if he goes uh, to the paint with Rudy Gobert. 
they have amazing scorers and creators in Evan Fournier and Nando De Colo. I admire these two so much. It's a dynamic duo and they are looking very good in this tournament. Also, they're surrounded with good spot-up shooters like Nikola Batum and his experience, like Lu- uh, Timote Luvavukabaro. Pardon my French. Maybe that these are not the best pronunciations. Uh, but they have everything. They have size. They have athleticism. They have physicality. They have experience. They have scorers, shooters. They have defensive players. They have a guy like Gershonia Buscelli, who is really a classical power forward playing very good basketball for, for the national team. So in my book, France will go to the final. This is my prediction. They will play the gold medal game. I rate them very highly and I, I really enjoy watching them. They have great chemistry. They have Vincent Collet, who has been coaching these guys for a long time. So that's about France. And we will talk about Italy maybe a little bit later because I want to hear what you think about the French team. Do you think I'm crazy predicting no. a final? Not at all. I love France. Um, be- before the tournament, I thought that either France or Australia uh, are going you know, to challenge Team USA the most. Uh, and, you know, French people won't be surprised by your prediction at all because Rudy Gobert and, and Evan Fournier before the tournament, they told that their gold medal is their clear goal. And the only thing why I'm surprised a bit, I'm a bit surprised the way they play and they play solid because they had a really problematic preparation stage. Uh, Nicolas Batum and uh, Rudy Gobert joined the team I think just before the second exhibition game and they had three uh, friendly games and it was like they they played against Spain without having a practice with the team. Also, Thomas Hertel was always in and out and because of his injury and it was not 100% clear if he gonna play in the Olympic Games. So it was a pretty tough uh, preparation stage. But the way they played against Team USA, I mean, it was an op- opener. And I thought that, you know, that France will need some time to build up, you know, to reach their goal. But they they won the group. They finished the group stage 3-0. and uh, They for sure going to play uh, better. But they were already solid. And uh, I love them. I mean, you mentioned a lot of reasons why they're so good. And... Um, the best thing is that in 2019, they build a chemistry and the core is, is there. Uh, they're only missing, uh, uh, f- damn, I forgot the player they're missing. I, I, I might... Nilikina, Nilikina got hurt. Yeah, Nilikina got hurt. But he, he's strange... with the team. Yeah, he's with the team. LBC is also with the team, even though he's not playing that much like he was playing in 2009. And they have now Thomas Ertel. I think it was Ambat and and Baia. Uh, Maybe I'm pronouncing the surname uh, bad. But but anyway, I mean, they have the same core. Uh, Their best players, like Fornia, for example, or Rudy Gobert, they're at their peak of their careers. They have a good chemistry from 2019. Vincent Collet told that uh, it was the best chemistry he ever had in French national team and he's with the team for like 10, 10 years and they're just you know building up building up and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, watching them in the final game and I wouldn't be surprised at all watching them with uh, a gold medal on their neck so your prediction is not crazy at all 
and and the Rudy Gobert factor is uh, much bigger than it was like in Rio Olympics in, in 2016. He got used to playing in 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 the international basketball a lot more throughout the years. And you know, when you don't have the defensive three seconds rule, as in the NBA, he's just the rim protector. He can stand there for 10 seconds and adjust every single shot that the opponents are trying to take. You have to take these crazy floaters if you if you want to make a shot over Rudy Gobert. And when you limit the defensive three seconds, these type of rim or paint protectors, they're really the game changers. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get uh, very big numbers, but he is adjusting every single shot that uh, their opponents would take from the paint. And as well as that, he's being replaced with Mustafa Fall, who is very big and very strong also. Uh, so if we look at the matchups against Team Italy, the matchups are really favorable for France because Italy doesn't even have a center. Nicolo Melli, who is a stretch four, he's forced to play as a center. They are lacking muscle uh, under the basket. They are lacking size. Italy is just crying for a strong center, and it has been their number one problem for years. I remember Eurobasket in 2017. It was the same problem. They didn't have a good center, and now they still don't have a good center, uh, but they have some good forwards, right? Melli... Fontecchio is having a good tournament. Maybe Danilo Gallinari is still struggling a little bit, but we know his quality, his experience. He can have a really good game. Uh, they have Nico Mannion, who is like surprise of the summer. We know that Italy probably shouldn't even be here because we all thought, ah, so Serbia, they are playing in Belgrade. They're going to win the qualifying tournament, but they didn't. And Nico Mannion was probably not reason number one why Serbia didn't win. So. Italy is like a fun team to watch. They play good basketball, but just the matchups are not in their favor. I cannot see them containing Rudy Gobert. They're probably going to be out-rebounded. Probably France will have a lot of second-chance opportunities. And I just don't see a scenario where Italy would take this game. Yeah, but you know... Uh... The matchups were not in their favor since you know the Olympic qualifying tournament. Yeah, but I agree. I just, I just love this team so much because okay, they're missing important players like Bellinelli, like Datome, like Hackett. But for the first time in many years, I don't see them playing like okay. Now this is my turn to to try to score. Now this is your turn. Now this is the other guy's turn. I don't see any ego in that team. I see some solid veterans like Gallinari, like Melli, uh, Polonara, uh, let's say. And I see young, hungry guys like uh, Mannion, first of all. And of course, uh, Fontecchio, who actually apparently became, a, let's say, a main go-to guy for Italy national team. They're sharing the ball. Uh, I like the, the way they play together. The chemistry is there. Uh, even though there were a lot of discussions in Italy because, you know, there were some scandalous uh, quotes by the president of the federation, like uh, questioning the Thomas or Bellinelli's decision not to play uh, for the team because he mentioned that if you're not playing for the Olympic team, it's not like, you know, that means that you're not a real champion. There were some, let's say, not 
nice situation situations where uh, Avudo Abbas was left out of the team because Gallinari uh, they took Gallinari for the Olympic uh, Games even though he didn't play in the Olympic qualifying tournament and Abbas was hurt because nobody from the federation reached him out but I mean despite all these issues they're playing so nice together they're fun to watch they're having that nice underdog, underdog story and uh, I don't know. There's so much to like about the team, and I, for sure, we have you no know, to respect and to give a credit for Coach uh, Saketi uh, from you know starting from managing to beat Serbia in the Olympic qualifying tournament, then to managing to make a nice team without their main players, uh, and he's running a completely new team. Uh, he's building the cameras, and it's just crazy. And then you think about, for example, I love Nico Manion's story. Uh, because uh, like four years ago, he was one of among the final cuts for um, USA U16 team, I guess, or U17, some, something like that. And Italy, uh, his uh, his father uh, is American, and his mom is from Italy. And he grew up. He was born in Italy, but later he went to live in United States. And when Italy, you know. Um, got information that he was among the final cuts for the USA U16 team. They quickly reached uh, him out and they managed you know, to convince him to play for Italy. And despite the fact that he's only 20 year old, he runs the team like a veteran. So it's a, I don't know, I, I'm enjoying watching this team. I'm not saying that they have any chance against France. I don't think so. But them making the quarterfinals, them playing nice basketball, being competitive in all of their games, it's already a huge victory. Well, well, speaking about Nico Mannion, he's a great prospect. Obviously, he's playing in Golden State. He's learning from the very best. Uh, sometimes he still loses his head in the game, makes some chaotic decisions. Therefore, Coach Sacchetti, for example, in the first game against Germany, played the last few minutes without Nico. He was trusting other, others, more experienced players. And I would mention Stefano Tonut also as a key player in this team. I didn't know much about Tonut, to be honest, before the Olympics. Uh, I believe he's playing in Venezia. But he looks to me like a very solid shooting guard who can help the team by scoring. Also, he can make the plays for others, as you mentioned, uh, there is no hero ball in, in Italy. They are playing smart team basketball, and the credit goes, of course, to Coach Sacchetti. So all these things are correct. I, I, I do admire this Italian team. I just don't think that the draw was good for them. They could have a better chance against some other teams. Maybe even against Slovenia, but yeah, not I against agree. France. I don't think they can do much against uh, France. The only way I, I can imagine would be some crazy shooting numbers, like hitting 20 frees or something like that. Like in they, 2004, well, semifinals. Well, they are capable, probably, because they have good shooters. Uh, guys like Gallinari that can score even when they are guarded. But maybe we're being too pessimistic about Italy. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, one last thing I want to add about Italy. Uh, I like the way how Gallinari accepted his role because it seems like there were some reports 
in Italian media that he has some knee issues and he's averaging only 8.7 points in 18 minutes and we saw that Sakete Benjim uh, in the fourth quarter against Australia uh, he he's not you know shooting as much or at least he's playing more off-ball game when we were used to it but I, I like the way how Galinari accepted his role as again uh, as you mentioned there's there's no hero ball he's not trying to be hero because probably he understands his uh, physical limitations at the moment and I just love, you know, the whole chemistry of the team. And of course, I think that France will advance, but there was so much yeah. to love about uh, this uh, Italian national team. Of course, because in the past, I think there was too much arrogance in, in, in Italy's team in the Barniani days, for example. And when Gallinari was not as mature as he is right now, they always seemed so arrogant going into every tournament and they failed almost every time. And now they are really a good team, so kudos to them. And reaching a quarterfinal is a good result, knowing that they had to beat Serbia in the qualifying tournament. And they played Nigeria, Germany, and Australia. These are three really strong opponents. Even Nigeria, they were down eight, I believe, in the beginning of the fourth quarter. But then they took control of the game and won it. So big credit to them. And probably the most intriguing uh, quarterfinal, Team USA against Spain. What do you think? I mean, is there any chance of upset? Well, I think that Coach Popovich is sticking with his defense, which all defense, and they were suffering against France. And there is a way that they could suffer against Spain as well because we know that Spain has the Gazal brother, brothers, they have Vili Hernan Gomez, even Usman Garuba, they have size. It's a very experienced team. This is the last dance for most of these guys. Uh, they will give everything they got against the Team USA. We know in the past, uh, this Spanish team, the golden generation, they went to two finals against USA. But in Beijing and also in London, USA was just too strong. It was a team with LeBron, with Kobe, with KD. It, it, they were just too strong. But Spain really fought in both of these finals. And now USA is a little bit vulnerable. They have some issues of their own. Uh, Spain, I believe they have an advantage if you look at the center position, even power forward because Kevin Durant, when he's attacked in the paint, uh, I saw even guys like Andre Bolvin scoring on him. So it's possible. If they can use these advantages, they could stay in the game. Yeah, for sure. But uh, Team USA, well, super athletic, super talented. Uh, the shots are starting to fall for them. Damian Lillard is hitting three-pointers. Kevin Durant is hitting three-pointers. Jason Tatum had an, had an amazing game against Czech Republic. Even guys like Zach Levine and Devin Booker are chipping in. They have some good players on defense, especially Drew Holiday. So still, despite everything I said, I believe that USA will go through to the semifinals. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping this will be a tight game. I hope that the experience of, of the Spanish players will give them a lot, will give them a chance maybe to win it. 
but I do see Kevin Durant or Damian Lillard just closing this game because uh, after that loss against France, maybe it was something they needed to wake up. Of course, you cannot say that the results against Iran or Czech Republic show that Team USA got serious. These were not the teams that could challenge them. But I still, I, I, I'm a guy that believes in in talent. I when I see two teams, I always go for the one that is more talented. And in this case, obviously, it's USA. I remember probably it was 2012 Olympic finals in London, and probably I witnessed the best Spanish national team ever. I think it was a really great team. Uh, most of their guys, we all, we also right now, we see them on the floor. They were at their peak. And they challenged Team USA. I mean, with Kobe Bryant, with LeBron James, with Kenan Durant. It was also one of the best Team USA teams they had. It was a great high-scoring final. But what's interesting that probably right now, they have less uh, quality on their roster. I mean, Spain. But they have a better chance uh, to, be, uh, to win uh, uh, the game against Team USA. Because probably it's one of the weakest Team USA we had in many years. And I'm talking about the whole structure of the team. I mean, we didn't have Team USA, which was built on the last minute, like this year. We have, I mean, late call-ups of Joel McGee, of Keldon Johnson. We had three players coming to Tokyo straight after the NBA Finals. Booker, uh, Holiday, Middleton. Uh, and I mean, five guys, it's already half of the roster. They lost two games in exhibition games. And probably we didn't have Team USA with such a damaged confidence, let's say. Because we always, you know, Team USA always had that myth of being invincible. But now they're, conf- they're not so confident as before. And it was a huge thing for them for, for many years, for many tournaments. So... Two years ago, they, they lost in quarterfinals. They they were only seventh because they lost later against Serbia also. So I think that also plays some role before this game. And they're facing Spain. Again, they were very solid in exhibition games. Uh, they they won against Spain in, in one of the friendly games. It was the last friendly game, again. Uh, I think. But what was interesting that... Greg Popovich played all his main guys like 30 or more minutes. Meanwhile, Scariolo was experimenting a lot, uh, you know, let's say focusing more on load management and stuff. And I like the way Spain played in this tournament. I think they were really solid. Uh, I like Ricky Rubio's leadership. Uh, I think that Margazol still needs to step up. But most of the other guys, they're playing good. And I, I see I see Spain beating uh, Team USA. But the thing which we have to understand that with more games into play, uh, with more time, I think I'm stuck, right? Do yeah. you see me clearly? No, you're stuck. Okay, just a second. Probably now it's better. Yeah, now it's okay. So I wanted to finish with the idea that with more games, with more time, Team USA is also building up. And despite the fact that they're going to have to face huge opponents to win the gold, I mean, now it's Spain. Uh, later, it's going to be uh, Slovenia, if they will advance. Then uh, Fr- France, I guess, in the finals. 
if I'm correct I, or no. I, I believe it would be like this. If, if they would go to the semis, they would face uh, Australia or Argentina, right? Uh, give me a second. Check the brackets. Yeah, yeah, I'm checking Basket News bracket. Yeah, they will face Australia, which is a great team. Probably the team Australia, I love. Yeah, yeah oh. and the finals, it, it would be France or Slovenia, let's say, most likely. And these teams are great. So it's not going to be easy, but with more time, we're going to see probably more solid Team USA team. Well, for me, it would be interesting to see how the Spanish veterans uh, will handle the physicality and athleticism of this uh, American team, because obviously uh, the United States have really strong players in every position, super athletic players. I think it's going to be a very hard game for Ricky Rubio, because if coach Popovich puts Drew Holiday on Rubio, to me, what I saw from Holiday in the NBA Finals, he is actually the best defensive guard right now in the world. That is my opinion, because what he did against Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker is, is amazing. And he he's even the best player, I think, in this American team right now in this switch-all defensive system, because when he goes down in the paint with a big guy, for example, Rudy Gobert, he covers him from up front so good and the opponents cannot even use this as a mismatch. Uh, so if Drew Holiday takes care of Ricky Rubio, that is going to be a huge problem for Spain. Another thing, when you play against USA, you always have to limit the turnovers because American players, they are always going for steals all the time, whether it's passing lanes or trying to just steal the ball for, from, from the ball handler. And uh, the only way I can see Spain winning it is if they take care of basketball, they win the rebounds, and they have a good percentage uh, in three-point shooting because they do not seem very consistent right now. Guys like Rudy Fernandez, Sergio Yul, Alberto Balde, Alex Sabrinas, they're kind of streaky shooters. The Americans, yeah. they, they are also dependent on the three-point shot, but I believe their shooters are better. They just had an off night against France. That's all. But you cannot expect Kevin Durant to consistently miss open jumpers. It's not going to happen. So if, if Spain can do all these things that I mentioned, maybe they will have a shot at this. Maybe. But actually, I was always like an advocate of, of Team USA, and I'm a big believer that uh, this group of guys can actually win the Olympic gold. And I am predicting uh, a final uh, where USA would face France. And I would say that USA would win the gold. It's not going to be easy. It kind of reminds me of, let's say, the Sydney Olympics in 2000. I wouldn't go to Athens in 2004 because in Athens it was a completely different story. Uh, they had some guys with, Bad but discipline. in 2000s, they were clear favorites to win, yeah, to win they, the gold. They were, but in those Olympics, everybody saw that they can be beaten because they were really challenged, especially by, by Team Lithuania in the semifinals. And, and also, that was not their best roster. They didn't send like Shaquille O'Neal or Tim Duncan, the most dominant players at the time, to the Olympics. They sent great players, but not the best. So it is like this right now. Well, Kevin Durant is one of the best, but others are great or good, but not the best. There is no Steph Curry. There is no LeBron James, right? Uh, KD, obviously, he surpassed Carmelo Anthony as, as the 
uh, top scorer of the national team of the in the national Olympics. team in the Olympics. Yeah, so we have to mention this, and uh, I think that Kevin Durant is the type of player that can play in any basketball court with any rules, and he would be the best player on the court. He just have to. He just has to set his mind straight because, for example, when he played France. He made those silly fouls that took him out of the game and he just couldn't help the team. But I think he learned his lesson. And and in the quarterfinals, Kevin Durant will be serious. But I wouldn't compare this team and this situation to to 2000s because actually for me, this situation reminds me a bit of of the World Cup in 2019. The thing is that that roster was much weaker, uh, but also the competition was also a bit weaker. We can compare some teams. Spain, as I said, is better right now. France is better right now. Okay, maybe we might discuss about Australia because they had a really, really solid group. But nonetheless, the competition is better uh, this year. And the, the actual fact that we're having the discussion where we have some doubts if Team USA will win the gold, it's already a victory for the international basketball. And I, before the tournament, I said that uh, I see Team USA losing one game. The problem is that it came a bit earlier, so <laughs> maybe that was their only, you know, loss, and they might go, you know, straight to the finals and winning the gold. But in overall, as I mentioned, you know, if you're we are if you're uh, talking about Spain, like if they will limit their turnovers. They're not making so many uh, turnovers. 13 per game. They have great guards, so they can control uh, their uh, turnovers. Uh, okay, I think that Spain is a better team than making 35% of three-point shots because they they have so many good shooters. There was also one, uh, one other thing you mentioned. I just don't remember. Probably controlling the paint, uh, matching the physicality and rebounds. Uh, I mentioned the rebounds, yeah, and I also in the beginning mentioned like using their advantages, which means the size advantage. Uh, feeding Margazol in the post, if the Americans are switching everything, you just have to play some old school smart basketball where you where, where you take what the defense gives you and obviously uh, they would give you mismatches in the paint. So if, if let's say Pau Gasol can remember his best days playing back to the basket and scoring, it could be a big problem for for uh, United States, uh, as we see. Coach Popovich is playing with Adebayo at center, and he's switching everything. Or Draymond Green. Draymond is an amazing defender from positions one through five, but also Mark Gasol or Pau Gasol with their size can do damage to Draymond. And it doesn't seem to me like Coach Popovich is willing to trust Javale McGee with some real minutes. Because McGee is the only really big center that could be the rim protector for Team USA, and it would will it will be interesting to see because so far Coach Popovich uh, didn't seem to change anything in his game plan, even when the team was struggling in the first game against France. So it will be interesting to see if Casal brothers Hernan Gomez will be dominating the paint. Will Coach Popovich change the defense? from Switchall to something else, will he trust JaVale McGee? Because I don't think so. I think Coach Popovich just believes in his system so much that he will not make any in-game changes. But we'll see. The best thing is that Sergio Scariolo, Sergio Scariolo, I'm sorry, yeah. is going to make some uh, adjustments. Oh, sure. so, I am 100% sure that Sergio Scariolo and his coaching staff will have the right strategy. I am completely sure of that. 
but it's a little bit sad to me because I'm a big, big fan of Gazal brothers. And I wanted to see them go out with an Olympic medal once again. And in my opinion, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. And the thing is that I'm a bit, let's say, not disappointed, uh, disappointed, but I think that Mark Gazal, uh, could, could give to his team more. And it's actually strange to, to watch him and to remember the fact that he was the NBA defensive player of the year a few years ago. And the way he looks and plays right now, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's pr pretty sad. Well, I watched him the last few years, even his last season in Toronto. There's not much left in those legs, in my opinion. Yeah, he declined and, so fast. And this season in, in LA, when they signed Andre Drummond, Margazol basically became their third center. And we remember that he was a great defensive center. Later in his career, he added the three-point shot so you could play pick and pop with him. And now, like I said, in those legs, he doesn't have it anymore. And I don't want to say anything bad about the legend of basketball because he's a big, big legend of basketball, not only Spanish basketball, but basketball in general. But he is declining. And let's say Pau, at the age of 41, he still looks valuable and efficient. Mark, 36, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Well, not so much. He's their starting center still. You know his basketball like you. He can have a good game. I believe in that. He can have at least one really good performance in a tournament like this. But I agree with you that uh, seeing him decline is, is kind of sad. Okay, so uh, Spain uh, or Team USA, the winner of this uh, quarterfinal game, will face Australia uh, or Argentina. Uh, do you have anything to say about Argentina? Uh, are you disappointed uh, the way they played in the tournament? Because they yeah. had a, they were having really a tough summer. They lost all their exhibition games. Uh, they lost against uh, all, let's say, higher level level teams in their group, and they managed to beat uh, Japan only. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed actually because against Slovenia and even against Spain there wasn't much of a fight. They were really beaten by better teams and that's all. And winning against Japan, well, that doesn't prove anything. Of course, they're better than Japan. They limited Hachimura and that was it. That was the end of the story. And they took this game, but so far, they were not good shooting the ball. Uh, guys like Vildosa, La Provitola, they're very inconsistent. I admire Facundo Campazzo. He's one of the best playmakers in the tournament and he's doing some great things today. He, he showed those flashy passes and everything. Um, but they lack uh, depth. Their bench is not very strong. As I understand, Patricio Guarino got hurt, so they lost another player. Now, coach Sergio Hernandez has to look at his bench and think whether guys like uh, Vaulet can give me some minutes. So it's a very short rotation. And uh, of course, Luis Cola, he's a legend. He's scoring. He's still doing some great things on the court. But it it's really hard to hide him somewhere on the defensive end. And once again, when you play Australia, you look at those matchups. The Australians, they are the most physical team in international basketball, probably. Uh, they are strong. Even after Aaron Baines' injury, 
they are still very strong with some big guys and strong players. So, yeah, I, I really am kind of disappointed with Argentina because I was expecting more from them. But there are some reasons, obviously, why they are struggling and they only got this one win in, in the group stage. Yeah, it's 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 weird because Argentina has such a great backcourt. I mean, they have uh, Campaso, La Provitola, Vildoza. Also, they have Deck. Even okay, Bolmaro, but yes, Bolmaro is not, a great. He's boost. not playing big minutes, but he's a big talent. So there is talent. Okay, they're missing some talent uh, on their front line. Scala is doing uh, uh, what he can. You, you cannot ask more from forty-one year uh, older. But something is not clicking, and but probably it's everything is logical because in my eyes they reached their peak in 2019. They actually overachieved, being a finalist of the World Cup. It was crazy. Uh, so maybe it's logical outcome what we are witnessing uh, here in Tokyo. I'm just a bit disappointed the way, as you mentioned, they're, they're not competitive as they were uh, before. They were they were always you know hungry. They were always fighting, but this time it's something is different. And I actually don't know the reasons. Uh, maybe you, you have to be inside the team, you know, to understand why why they see the picture of Argentina like that. But in this quarterfinal, it will be interesting to see a couple of matchups because I believe uh, Facundo Campazzo will be guarding Patty Mills. And on the other side, Matthew Della Vedova will probably be guarding Facundo Campazzo. Now, these could be potentially very interesting matchups in the game. Uh, these guards will be the ones who who will probably de- determine the outcome of this game. We know what kind of a beast the Olympic Patty Mills is. Since the Beijing Olympic Games, he's the best scorer in every Olympics. When he plays for Australia, he plays with extreme passion. Not only him, probably all of these guys. They're so passionate about their the national team. And they haven't won a medal. The motivation inside of that team is just at the maximum level because in Rio 2016, that foul call against Sergio Rodriguez really robbed Australia of bronze medal. In 2019, World Cup in China, also some strange calls by the referees and they lost in overtime against Spain. They were unlucky once again and they finished fourth. And... I really support Australia. I want them to win a medal, finally. Argentina, as a nation and as a national team, they have the Olympic gold. What more can you ask? I mean, Luis Cola is an Olympic champion, obviously not Campazzo, Vildosa or La Provitola, but they played in the final of the World Cup, most of these guys. And at this point, I think that Argentina, from all eight teams that qualified, are the weakest team. From what I saw in the group stages, so that is my not opinion. the talent-wise, but the way they yeah, play. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Even, even though I I like Argentina, I like most of their players. Let's say Gabriel Deck, the development he made from his days in playing playing in Argentina, then moving to Real Madrid, and now becoming an NBA player. He is a forward that can do all these tasks that the coach needs on defense, and he always hustles for every ball. So these players are great. Even when Scola retires, he will probably probably retire after these Olympics. They will still have a, this core of players that could qualify, let's say, for the Paris Olympics in 2024. 
talking about the retirement, uh, the best thing about Argentina in Tokyo was the tweet about Argentina. Uh, Igor Tsurkovic uh, from FIBA, he tweeted that one day Facu, Camp- Facu Campazzo and Nicolas Laprovitala and Luca Vildoza will all retire and then who's going to pass the ball to Luis Scola? <laughs> so I think it's the best thing about Argentina. But talking yeah. about Australia, uh, there is so much to love about them, actually. Yeah. I love Australia. Uh, before the tournament, we made the power rankings uh, of the Olympic Games and uh, I put Australia as my team number one. Uh, of course, Aaron Bain's injury is a game changer and probably we discuss it more in detail. But there's so much to love about this team. And besides, you know, Patty Mills, Joe Ingles, it, it's it's easy, you know, uh, to focus about them because they're playing great basketball, especially Patty Mills. He's just incredible. But what I like the most is the new guys on that team. Uh, for example, Dante Exum and Matisse Taibul. I mean, the same, uh, for example, the last game against Germany, when it was a tight game, uh, Australia created the difference with three steals in the last minutes of the third quarter. And these steals came from Exum and Tybul. Uh They're yeah. both long, they're athletical, uh, they're always hustling, and they add uh, something which Australia was missing for all those all these years, for example, okay, Bogut uh, was the best best passing big in Australia. He was great, but in the last tournaments, I mean, when you have Bogut on the court, you have to limit yourself uh, in a way how you can play, how you can play defense. Bogut is obviously you know guy to attack in the pick and roll game, but when he's out, I mean, yes, Australia is missing a great great passing big. But at the same time, you have Patty Mills, you have Delhi, you have Ingles. I mean, there are enough guys who can share the ball, who can have, who has a great basketball IQ. But the thing was, what Australia was missing, that kind of, the level of defense, length on the perimeter, and the way how these guys can improve you on the defensive end. And Australia always had that physicality, but they didn't have such uh, athleticism and length which now they have with Exum and uh, uh, Tybal. So I think these two young guys, they improved this team a lot. And I just wait, uh, I just love the way uh, they play. And these two guys also fit uh, perfectly. Coach Gordian, who yeah. is defensive-minded coach. So I just love them. I ju- I'm just afraid that, you know, Aaron Baines, big body, very physical guy, it's going to be a huge loss uh, for this team. For example, in the last game against Germany, who doesn't have the most physical front line, front line I think that they had nine offensive rebounds in fourth quarter. So when they're going to face, you know, even better teams, even more physical teams, they might be in some kind of trouble. Fortunately for them, Argentina has Marcos Delia as, as the center. So it's not going to be that big a big problem. But yeah, Aaron Baines, when, when Bogut retired, so Baines obviously became the main guy. He's experienced. He added a three-point shot in the last couple of years, so they're missing a lot with his injury. But you mentioned Matisse Teibel, and this is a player that has a very high ceiling. He is really an elite player on defense already, and he is developing his offensive skills as well. 
Now, talking about Dante Exum, I would say he fits the national team, but if you look at his career, he it, it is kind of disappointing because yeah. he, he was expected to be the next big thing from Australia, and he really isn't. If you look uh, at his career in the NBA, and there is another interesting topic, and I would like to give my opinion. Maybe you will give yours. Right now, at this very moment, if you add Ben Simmons to this team, I don't think they would benefit from that. I would think they would be doing everything to make Ben Simmons happy. They would start playing through Ben Simmons, it would destroy this chemistry they have right now. And even though Ben Simmons is one of the best defensive players in the NBA, I don't think that right now Australia needs him. That is my opinion. Maybe you don't agree with me. I agree. I think that Matthias Taibul is a much better fit uh, when Ben Simmons because he doesn't require the ball. And, you know, he, he brings uh, great defense. He doesn't require the ball. You don't have to, you know, make your game around him. And there are enough uh, playmakers, uh, ball yeah. handlers in Australia, Mills, Ingles, and Delhi. So, yeah. And, and Ben Simmons, uh, he probably would struggle in FIBA rules, first of all, because uh, in an NBA open court, he feels a little bit better, especially in the regular season if it's not the playoffs. Here... He would be limited. We know he doesn't have a jump shot. So the offense would collapse probably. And last thoughts about Australia. I think this is the team that nobody wants to play against. Because when you're facing Australia, the, phys the physicality levels are enormous. There are elbows flying everywhere. Sometimes it looks like a rugby match. Then you have Joe Ingles trash-talking all over the court. I mean, he's the number one trash talker in the Olympic tournament, for sure. Also, you have like Matthew Delavadova, who is going to dive for every single ball. He is going to make sort of football tackles. I mean, nobody wants to play against Australia because playing against Australia puts you at risk of getting hurt. <laughs> because the Australian players are not afraid of getting hurt but it can hurt you as well in the process of, of doing that. So, yeah, I, I cheer for them. I know that um, some of Lithuanian coaches also admire Team Australia and, and everybody agrees that they deserve a medal finally because they were so unlucky in so many moments in the past. That's the thing which scares me off a bit because especially after Baines got injured, I mean... Uh, I cheer for Australia a lot, as I said. Yeah, I mean, they were my number one team before the tournament. But now, it's, let's say, potentially very real that they might finish fourth because you can have Spain or Team USA in the semis, also France, Slovenia, and these are really good teams. So there's a high risk of being, you know, left out of the podium again. And it would be just terrible for, for Australian basketball. But, but probably both agree that they are going to go past uh, Argentina. Oh, there's no yeah. chance for Argentina. So if, you know. if you are in the semis, then okay, you have two shots. If you don't make the final, you play for bronze medal. And maybe those flashbacks from the past will not haunt them. And now having uh, guys like Matisse Teibel, maybe 
this is the missing piece and they can grab a medal. I hope so. So, yeah, we can finish our pod with the last part and we will try to make our all tournament five. So uh, far. So far, yeah, from the group stage. Yeah. So let's go one by one, probably. Yeah. What do you have for your point guard? Okay, probably we're going to have our five, let's say, in a more like positionless basketball. Yeah, we we cannot say that we have like strict positioning. I, I, I love the idea. I love the way you complain about Olympic, uh, uh, let's say, I don't know, if it was FIBA or what, who, who positioned uh, Luka Doncic as a small forward. Yeah, he can be a small forward on defense, but I mean, he is the point guard, as I mentioned. He's not even the point <laughs> guard. He he reached the level of Jason Kidd or Chris Paul or Steve Nash, and he can be qualified as a point guard. Magic Johnson. Uh, yeah. And, well, once again, about these positions, I can say that Luka Doncic is my point guard, right? But then I would mention the other guys. So I have Ricky Rubio also in my five. So... Let's say that Ricky Rubio is my point guard, okay? Obviously, mm-hmm. I will have Doncic as well in my five. Okay. I took Patty Mills for my five. So I have Mo- Patty Mills as a, as, a, as a number two because he's a scorer. He's a shooter. I mean, again, you know, my, my five was, let's say, without uh, specific positions because I yeah, have so probably three guards on my five. Yeah, so let's just go through but, all these three but, guards. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was taking Paddy Mills instead of Ricky Rubio. Okay. I mean, I was comparing these two guys. And probably the last thing uh, why I took Patty in my five, because the way he was playing, the way Australian national team was playing. And, you know, Ricky wasn't at his best in the last game against uh, Slovenia. And they lost, you know, they were second team, yeah. so... That was only re- the only reason why I took Patty, but Ricky was before that game. He was having amazing uh, tournament, and it starts from 2019. Yeah, I can completely understand that the last game, today's game, changed your mind maybe or helped you to make up your mind. But I, I have Patty Mills like a like a shooting guard in my start in my starting five of the of the tournament. Uh, Ricky Rubio, he's the floor general. He has computer type of brains and uh, he is controlling the game. He's making the right decisions. His passing is... I mean, he can't be compared to Luka Doncic in terms of passing abilities, for sure. And before today, he was shooting very well in this tournament. His shooting numbers were great, uh, but we all know that he's not sort of a sharp shooter. So maybe it is normal that after two great performances, he had a game like this today. But I still have plays for him in my starting five. So it will be Rico Rubio, but it will be Patty Mills as well. And you said everything about Patty, so I really don't have anything to add. Oh, so you have Mills also, right? Yeah, I have Mills. I have Mills and Ricky. And so you have Ricky, Mills and Doncic. Obviously, Doncic, the best player of the tournament so far. Uh, before this pod, uh, I have Kevin Durant on my five. But actually, you changed my mind because I put Kevin Durant on my five just because he's a Kevin Durant. 
Yeah, uh, he only uh, had one good game against Czech Republic. And, and that's yeah, all. and it was not against France, you know, when it mattered. Yeah. So it would be unfair, you know, to put him on my five. So I love what you said about Drew Holiday and his defense and how he's changing the game of Team USA. And okay, I could, you know, put uh, Jason Tatum on my five, but he also had a bad game against France and he, he let's say, played the way he can play only against Czech Republic. So I'm, I'm putting Drew Holiday in my five. So I have Doncic, Mills and Holiday on my backcourt. Yeah, solid. So and what do you have for, for forward position? Power forward, I went with the classics. Uh, I went with the classical power forward, Luis Cola. Even though Argentina is kind of disappointing, but well, he's a legend and you cannot help but admire what he's doing at the age of 41. He's averaging, I believe, 20 points per game. Something like that. He had a good game today against Japan, shooting uh, freeze. In other games, he was more playing in the paint. Of course, he is suffering on defense at times. It's inevitable. But uh, he's playing in his fifth Olympic Games. He has gold and bronze as well. You can just admire his motivation and his passion for the national team. He already, I mean, he, he already proved everything he has to prove. Even in 2019, he played an amazing tournament and, and Argentina won silver medals. But he still wanted to play in these Olympics. The Olympics had to happen in 2020. So he signed with uh, Milano to play in the EuroLeague so he could be in a better shape and he could play in the Olympic Games. But then the pandemic stroke and the season was not finished. So what he did, he thought, okay, this is a new challenge for me, but I'm still going to play in Tokyo. And he, and he was one of the best scorers in Italy last yeah, season. Yeah, so he found a new team in Italy. He had a good season there and he's still playing. And he, when I watch him, I'm still thinking he could still do this for a couple more years. And maybe Luis Cola in Paris is not so impossible. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. But, I mean, he is an amazing professional. Okay, so I didn't take traditional power forward uh, for my five. Uh, but I couldn't give a credit uh, to Simone Fontecchio, who, as I said, you know, become, became kind of a go-to guy in Italy team. Uh, he's only 25 years old, but he's having really solid tournament. He's scoring 18 points per game with a tremendous shooting, 50% of three-pointers, 56% of uh, uh, two-pointers. And he's one of the main reasons why Italy, you know, is being so successful, starting from the qualifying tournament and now having them on the quarterfinals. So I just wanted, you know, to give some credit for my one of the most beloved teams in this tournament in Italy. And Fontecchio, in my eyes, was the most important piece of that team. And I think that Fontecchio is an amazing signing for Basconia because Basconia are having a rebuild. And Simone Fontecchio... They signed him from Alba Berlin. I think he's an amazing addition to this team and such an athletic, uh, versatile, intelligent forward. He adds a lot to any team and we see his best version probably playing for Italy. Uh, yeah, and we are moving to, to the center spot. The most and difficult position. Really, there are no standout 
performers if we talk about the big guys. And uh, this tournament is all about the point guards and the shooters so far. So we talk yeah, about perimeter. Nelson. It's perimeter dominant tournament, let's say. Yeah, and and it was expected. Basketball is like this nowadays. So we're constantly talking about Doncic, about Rubio, about Mills, about Campazzo, uh, and some other guys, but not about the big fellas. Still, there are some who are making a big impact on the court. And you could go, let's say, with Rudy Gobert, elite rim protector, and I think he will have big performances going forward in the knockout stages. But instead... I went with Mike Toby because he fits this team so well. He plays pick and roll with Luca or with Prepelic. It seems like he was doing this with them for five or six years. He seems so natural in this team. Uh, he has key offensive rebounds, especially today against Spain in fourth quarter. A couple of uh, of second chance uh, second chances he created they were key uh, to this game. So I believe he deserves to be in my five and I take him. I think Mike Toby is meeting all the expectations that Slovenians had for him when, when they gave him this passport. Yeah, I think it's a great pick. And he. I think that so far he's really the best center in all the categories uh, of this tournament. He, he's having, I think, around 18 points and maybe something over 10 rebounds per game. But the thing is that I did. there are so many great players on this tournament, and especially with guards. I mean, it was so hard to, to you know, uh, to pick some guards and, you know, to leave somebody behind. But I didn't want to give two spots on that five for Slovenia. In my eyes, it, it wouldn't be fair. But as you mentioned, it was really hard to find the center. For example, Jock Landil might have, have a case uh, for that. He's having 13.3 uh, points per game, four rebounds. He's def- he's deferred in efficiency on his team. And he's he's showing solid numbers. But um, I, wanted, I, I took Rudy Gobert. Uh, mostly because of his performance in the game against uh, Team USA. It was his best game so far. Uh, the way he, you know, changes uh, the shot, uh, the way he impacts the defense, and he's a very important piece for the French national team. But at the same time, yeah, I expect him having much better games in the future, starting from the uh, quarterfinals, and he will for sure... Uh, will reach his peak because, as I said, he's let's say he joined the team very late. He still needs some time, but when you know, when he will reach the do or die stage, he will show his best uh, qualities. So my five would be with Gobert, Fontecchio, uh, Luka Doncic as a small forward, uh, and uh, Patty Mills, and also Drew Holiday. Okay, so mine is. Ricky Rubio, Eddie Mills, Luka Doncic, Luis Cola, and Mike Toby. Yeah, I, I, I think your choices were also good and you had some arguments to back your choices. So I cannot disagree with Rudy Gobert, let's say, for example. And you can actually leave your opinion uh, in the comments uh, yeah, about your top yeah, five. Definitely. And because really, I have to apologize for speaking so slow in, in this podcast because, believe me, I'm really tired. I'm lacking sleep after all these broadcasts and television. So 
next time it will be much better but i still hope you enjoyed listening to us and uh, we will have plenty to discuss in in the coming days now it was it was a ple- pleasure to have you here uh, because you it's know just, as we mentioned i had to switch from lithuanian to english so quickly and i forgot some words and i was speaking really slow but i hope that uh, it's not a big problem <laughs> the best thing is that we had a really great groove phase with some good games great individual performance and there's even more to come uh in the playoff stage in the knockout stage so probably we're gonna try you know, you know to make another pod after the tournament so i believe there will be so much to discuss and i hope you know to get out of my self-isolation and uh, to, to record that uh, podcast in a basket news uh, studio yeah looking forward to it Rytis Višniauskas, Donatas Urbanas, uh, thanks a lot for everybody uh, who listened to it. You can find us on basketnews.com and also Basket News YouTube channel. Uh, thanks a lot and see you soon.